0: If you walked by Cambridge and Latin School last Tuesday evening, you'd see more than the bustle of students leaving school. You'd see a crowd of teachers in red t-shirts chanting about fair contracts for educators.
1: What do we want? Fair contracts! do we want it? Now! Yeah.
0: They've been caught up in months-long negotiations with the Cambridge Public School District over fair compensation, workload, and work hours. Today on News Talk, we talk to our reporters to dissect how and why Cambridge public educators and their district are at an impasse. From Plimpton Street, this is News Talk. I'm Frank So.
2: Hi, my name is Azusa Lippitt. I'm the Graduate School of Education reporter for the Harvard Crimson. Hi, my name is Sally Edwards, and I'm the Cambridge Education reporter for the Harvard Crimson.
0: Thank you so much, Azusa and Sally, for joining us. So, I wonder then if we could start with the teachers' rally that happened last Tuesday before school committee meeting. What would Cambridge residents walking by the school committee meeting in Cambridge and Latin School, CRLS, an hour earlier had seen?
2: Sure. So on Tuesday at around 5 p.m., if you were to, you know, walk down Broadway past CRLS, past the Cambridge Public Library, you would see that more than 50 CEA union members, community members, teachers, students were gathered together outside of CRLS where the school committee meeting was held in what was described to me as a show of solidarity and unity for the union in their ongoing contract negotiations. You know, you had these teachers from elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, all wearing the same very bright red CEA shirts. And, you know, just visually, there's that feeling of a very united front. Um... And these teachers are all just mingling, talking with each other, talking with community members about their experience working within the district, particularly within the first two weeks of school, which they've worked without a renewed contract, although the terms of the previous contract are still um, being upheld. You had the president of the union, Dan Monahan, address the crowd on the microphone. You had a couple other union members, teachers, come and address the big group. Every so often you'd see kids leaving the high school or the library and they'd point and be like, oh my God, Miss so-and-so, my English teacher. And they would come up and talk to the teachers. So it was very much the feel of a community event. They had music playing in the background, Everyone was kind of like milling around, talking to each other. Very, very much a community oriented event.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. So I wonder then if we could zoom out a little bit to look at the context behind all of this. The Teachers Rally isn't just one isolated incident. It's coming amidst a series of negotiations between Cambridge Public Educators and the Cambridge Public School District. Mm. Um, I'm curious if you could outline to us the sort of central issues in that debate and what teachers are saying and what the district has to offer.
2: So if you go back to last year, October 2022, you see that these negotiations start. The teacher's contract is set to expire on August 31st of 2023. And so, you know, the district and the union started working proactively together since last year to try to negotiate a new contract. Fast forward to today, school has been in session for two weeks, and the two parties have yet to reach an agreement on the contract. Then,
3: At the beginning of this school year, we showed up in mass. All 1,400 members wearing red for a rally, walking pickets.
0: Chris Montero, a history teacher at CRLS.
3: Staying completely silent while the talking heads <laughs> said a bunch of nonsense about how they value us. If they valued us, we wouldn't have started the year without a contract. That's right. And we walked out together and we did it together because we know
2: that we are stronger together. Three of the big... Uh, problems that I heard from a lot of teachers who are present were um, regarding compensation, workload, and time spent in the classroom. I talked to an educator. She teaches history at CRLS, and she was telling me that I got my four years of bachelor's, I got my master's, and I'm still having to work two, sometimes three jobs to just make ends meet. On top of what's already a very stressful job, I'm having to rack my brain for ways that I'll be able to pay my bills. So even though CPS does offer competitive pay for a lot of these teachers. They're concerned that considering the qualifications and education that the staff members have and also the, you know, price of living in Cambridge, particularly buying or renting a house, it's just not feasible to live on an educator's salary in Cambridge. Another educator described that to me as naive, like it's naive to think that an educator on an educator's salary in a single income household could afford to live in Cambridge. Another main issue, these two kind of go hand in hand, is the workload of teachers and the time that they spend in the classroom. Because we're sick and tired. Montero again.
3: It's been two weeks, we started this year, we have no contract, we're tired of doing extra work for no pay and not being appreciated.
4: One of the central demands of the CEA contract that educators see as not being met is in regard to time, that educators should have a voice in how time is used. And I think that that concern comes from an audit of elementary and upper, which is how they call middle schools, uh, scheduling in the 2022-2023 school year, where a consulting firm was called in to sort of assess how the time is being spent during the day in those schools. And it was ultimately found that instructional requirements uh, for the number of minutes during the day that students are being instructed are not being met, um, according to state levels. And so coming out of that audit uh, this school year, there were some new guidelines sent out to principals around the district, just letting them know that they're hoping to increase the instructional time for particularly elementary school students and particularly in math. A lot of uh, educators, some expressed this in public comment at the school committee meeting last Tuesday, feel that these recommendations create a sense of distrust in the educators and their ability to make judgments about how their time in the classroom should be spent. And the school committee is sensitive to this, but overall, the guidelines were definitely received as more mandates than guidelines, Mm -hmm. and it's definitely raising tensions throughout the district.
0: What did these consulting firm recommendations for increasing instructional time entail? What has that meant for teacher schedules and student schedules heading into the school year?
4: So it's definitely created a sense of trying to maximize instructional time, which means that any free time throughout the day, particularly for K through 8, is going to be put toward math instruction, literacy, or reading instruction, and not anything else that the teachers may see as valuable, such as special activities or lunch and recess. Yeah.
0: Immediately following the teachers rally, at about 6 p.m., the school committee meeting started up in Cambridge and Latin School, CRLS. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how educators and parents spoke to the experience of being a parent or a teacher in Cambridge this school year.
4: Yes. So during the public comment portion, it was definitely very moving, definitely relates to the show of solidarity and unity that Sally mentioned earlier, I think it was moving to see a lot of parents and educators come to voice their concerns at public comment. Unfortunately, according to school committee regulations, public comment cannot concern items that are not on the agenda for the meeting that day. So there were some points of being cut off at mention of the contract, which did not appear on the agenda. But the most contract pertinent item was definitely this issue around scheduling and being clear that the guidelines were guidelines and not mandates, which was something that the school committee addressed later. And so a lot of parents and educators went have to speak at public comment. The central concerns that were being mentioned were definitely understaffing educators feeling a lot of stress regarding a lack of support in their departments due to sudden disappearances of their colleagues, as well as lack of preparatory time due to professional development, administrative responsibilities. Generally, I would say that the teachers were conveying a lot of stress and were very unanimously concluding that the first two weeks of school had been very chaotic and very stressful for them.
2: In the rally beforehand, you had a bunch of the CEA organizers talking to the teachers. So um,
0: This is Dan Monahan, the president of the union. Um, we're
3: asking folks to go in and, and speak at the school committee meeting. The key piece on the agenda is the superintendent is making a presentation about the first two weeks of school. So that really opens it up for people to talk about whatever it is that they want to, about how things are going at school.
2: And so you had organizers going around with like, oh, if you're nervous, you can practice presenting in front of us before going in there. We have an outline that you can use, really trying to get educators' voices in the discussion.
3: really important to get our word into that room because you know the superintendent's presentation will likely have a very different perspective, and so we need to share what's actually happening in our schools That's on the right. ground. So let's make sure we get that in
2: there. Sitting in the school committee meeting, it's uh, 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, so you wouldn't expect there to be a huge turnout within the small gallery of three rows of chairs that's set up facing directly toward the mayor, the superintendent, the school committee. But what you would see is that gradually, like, more and more CEA union members and supporters would show up. So you'd look up and suddenly two more people wearing red shirts appear and three more come in the door. And then suddenly the gallery was just full of all these educators, community members, wearing red in solidarity with the union, directly looking to the mayor and to the superintendent before going up one after another to voice their concerns about the first two weeks of school and how that's related to contract negotiations.
0: One thing that's sticking out to me is that educators weren't explicitly allowed technically to be mentioning the Mm contracts by name over the course of the school committee meeting. Yet it seems like during the public comment section, when residents of Cambridge get to go up and voice their concerns, it seems like that was mostly, if not all, the parents and teachers were talking about. I'm curious if the school committee themselves ever made uh, reference to or addressed some of these concerns uh, over the course of the meeting.
4: Certainly. I think, though, again, they were sticking to their responsibilities of discussing the agenda items, there were several times that a committee member would say, as we heard in public comment, and then insert some sort of community-based evidence that they had heard from earlier. As well as during the, there was a a motion to send out a message to the broader Cambridge community of both educators and families, explaining that the guidelines for increased instructional time were indeed guidelines. And in the process of agreeing on this motion, one of the school committee members made reference to an earlier public comment, quote, that was an educator saying he didn't feel trusted. And in explaining his motivations for supporting the motion, the member said, you know, I think that we need to make the teachers feel trusted. And that was actually a really affirming connection between the public comment and the dialogue of the school committee members.
0: Thank you so much. So it sounds like then that contract negotiations continue to be at an impasse. Mm -hmm. Um, The district and educators continue to butt heads in terms of the specific terms of their uh, compensation and work hours. Is it looking like an agreement will be reached soon?
2: Nothing that I can see. The CEA president told me that, yes, the school committee has started to listen to us. And while that's appreciated, the union feels like negotiations are just not moving fast enough. So because the school year has started and the new contract has yet to be negotiated, um, we're seeing that educators, fair professionals, and all different staff members from across the district are willing to take more dramatic measures like rallying outside of a school committee meeting in order to get their voices heard. Uh, Another big shift that'll come with these negotiations after the rally is the CEA's move for a work-to-contract strategy where we'll see one day every week the educators are going to come in explicitly at the beginning of their contracted day at the beginning of the school day walk in together and then at the end of the school day they're going to walk out together in solidarity to show these are the hours we're expected to work and when we don't work outside of these expected hours we see there are going to be so many gaps in the system because we're expected like we we're talking about to spend more of their time inside the classroom, supporting students at work, essentially, when that's not necessarily being reflected by their compensation. We'll see a lot more activity from the CEA in an attempt to put pressure on the school committee to try to get a more decisive measure and actions.
3: So now every school in this building,
2: here's Montero again,
3: one day a week is going to walk in at the start of the day, is going to walk out at the end of the day, and they're going to tell the people of Cambridge why we're doing it.
0: We should mention that in a statement to the Cambridge public school community in late August, Cambridge Mayor Simbol Siddiqui and Superintendent Victoria Greer said, quote, We have worked through the summer preparing for the new school year to ensure that our scholars have the structure, support and services they need to have an enriching and fulfilling school year, quote. They mentioned, too, that the teams have met 24 times and spent 83 hours bargaining since October 2022. The statements then go on to say, quote, The school committee looks forward to continued negotiations with the CEA. We will continue to update the community periodically as we work together towards a new contract with our union partners, end quote. So I'm curious where the story moves next. What should we be looking to in terms of upcoming developments in the Cambridge public education system that may play into this dynamic?
2: Mm, absolutely. So I think just another interesting level to this story is the fact that elections for the school committee are coming up and they're coming up very soon, The week before the school committee meeting, we had a forum for school committee candidates, which was actually hosted by the CEA, where the moderators, who were union members, brought up a lot of these concerns about the relations between the school committee and educators. And, you know, outside at the rally, I had educators tell me that we don't think that anyone on the school committee understands our experience because no one has been an in-classroom teacher Post COVID and that post COVID reality for a teacher is so distinct to pre pandemic rituals and pre pandemic learning structures. And so there's a definite feeling from the union that if the school committee members don't listen to their demands of the contract, then there's going to be a very tangible way that we'll see that repercussion through the school committee elections in this upcoming term. But we're going to keep doing it. Montero again.
3: Week after week for the next month. And if that doesn't work, we got plenty of other ideas to turn up the heat. And we are going to do that all right up until Election Day, when these people have to sing for their supper and ask for an extension on their job contracts. If we don't have a contract, maybe they don't deserve to be rehired.
0: Thank you so much, Azusa and Sally, for joining us to talk through ongoing contract negotiations Mm -hmm. between the Cambridge Public School District and Cambridge educators.
2: Thank Thank you, you. Frank.
0: (laughs) One of Harvard's professors of astronomy has been looking for years into signs of extraterrestrial life. Now, a new expedition has generated new findings that we'd like to discuss with our reporters today.
5: Hi, I'm Austin H. Wong. I'm a junior reporter for the Harvard Crimson on The Science's Beat.
1: Hi, I'm Jasmine Palma. I'm a junior reporter at The Crimson, and I also write for The Science's Beat.
0: Thank you so much, Austin and Jasmine, for joining us today. I'm curious if you could start by giving us a little bit context into who this professor is. Who is he?
1: Abraham Loeb, otherwise uh, known as Avi Loeb, is a professor of astronomy at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Uh, He is a theoretical astrophysicist, uh, has ventured into the field of cosmology, which is his uh, primary expertise, one may say. Uh, But he has also been a very active scholar in the search for extraterrestrial artifacts that could show evidence for extraterrestrial technology in the form of physical objects.
0: For sure. Thank you so much. And part of his newest wave of research is the result of an expedition that he's undertaken with a research team. So I wonder then if you could give us a recap of the expedition. What was it and where did it go?
5: Yeah, so Avi's team went to the Pacific Ocean and using a magnetic sled, they trawled the ocean floor to look for spherules from the meteor IM-1. Avi Loeb had previously had theories that this meteor could be some sort of fragment from an alien spaceship.
0: How did Professor Loeb become interested in extraterrestrial artifacts and life in the first place?
1: It all started with A Oumuamua was discovered in 2017 by scientists. It is quite peculiar due to its characteristic thin oblate shape. It looks quite a lot like a cigar. Scientists were quite befuddled by this mysterious object. It's a comet, but it didn't really have a cometary tail. Uh, a lot of people were throwing around wild conjectures as to its origins. Some people, including Alvi Loeb, proposed that it could be a light sail, essentially a piece of extraterrestrial technology that can harvest solar energy, which would account for its very odd orbital path. And so this initiated Avi's future endeavors in searching for physical, tangible evidence of extraterrestrial Technology, any artifacts that could indicate that some intelligent life out in the universe outside of the solar system is advanced enough and have stumbled into our corner of the universe. And since then, AVI has launched the Galileo Project. The Galileo Project is an international collaboration among scientists with a variety of different expertise. Their main goal is to search for both, according to the website, accidental and anecdotal evidence of unidentified anomalous phenomenon, also known as UAPs, and understand what interstellar objects might be like in their quest for the search of extraterrestrial intelligence. Mm,
0: For sure. Thank you so much. So I'm curious then what this expedition scanning the floor of the Pacific Ocean for signs and shreds of IM1 actually found. What are the findings this time around?
5: The team found uh, several spherules, which are formed when a meteor enters Earth's atmosphere and breaks up into these smaller pieces. And then the lab of Stein B. Jacobson will conduct several different analyses of the chemistry of these spherules to try to identify how old they are and where they might have come from. They hope that this will help them form hypotheses for the origins for this mysterious meteor. And they're able to isolate different smaller particles from the spherules using a magnet, since those particles have magnetite in them. And then they can conduct isotopic analyses, which will let them date the materials and hopefully figure out where in the universe
0: they are from. So I'm curious then, what stage of submission are these findings in? Has it been written up into a paper? Is it about to be published? Where are we now?
1: So far, they've published their preliminary findings. It's a preprint edition. They have put up their results to be peer-reviewed in a journal that has yet to be disclosed. The findings that they have are merely 457 out of the 700 spherals. The current Point of their isotopic analysis reveals that it has a very unique elemental composition and that they have a an alloy of beryllium, lanthanum, and uranium, denoted broadly as the Lau composition. This is a very unique alloy that hasn't really been discovered in other solar system materials. They've also noted that it has uh, unique iron isotope ratios that are quite different from any of the ones known at the moment from uh, the solar system. And so they hope to conduct more thorough isotopic analysis further down the line. But the paper that they have in particular just puts forth their most salient new findings that they've had at the moment. But there's a long way to go still.
0: For sure. In the wake of these findings, then, the preprint edition of the paper being published, curious what other academics have said about Loeb's findings. Avi Loeb's research has long-faced backlash from
5: uh, some members of the scientific community, Ah, uh, they've questioned his rigor, and also um, they've described his work as sensationalist and attention seeking. Um, so I asked Gary P. Nolan about this. Gary P. Nolan is a immunologist at Stanford. Uh, he's also an affiliate of the Galileo Project, and he's been working on uh, unidentified anomalous phenomena for almost a decade, including major news headlines such as the Council Bluffs incident and the Atacama baby, which is like this skeletal remains which, through genetic tests, he says was a human. In response to the critics, Nolan said that Avi Loeb was a great example of how the scientific method should be done. He said that he did not wait for the scientific community to come to a consensus or approve of his ideas. Rather, he went into the field and directly collected the data. He also said that the attention brought to the subject could be a positive. And Avi Loeb himself mentioned that this sort of work has brought lots of funding to the subject of UAPs, which uh, was not previously present.
0: So I'm curious then, we've had academics split on the uh, rigor, veracity of Loeb's research. Curious where we go from here. The findings are now public. What can we look to next?
1: At the moment, it is unclear whether or not the spherules are indeed of extrasolar origin. It could be that they are a piece of of a rocky object in the asteroid belt. It hasn't been definitively determined with real confidence that they are indeed interstellar. So next steps would be to continue doing more rigorous isotopic analysis to determine if it might have originated from an exoplanet. It would be the first piece of real tangible samples that we would have of exoplanets. But at the moment, we can't really determine with real certainty that's the case. Loeb also has intentions to continue on his extraction expedition in the future by collecting bigger samples. His intention is to get better equipment, more technologically advanced equipment, to search for bigger pieces of the meteor. So it would, in principle, be the same procedure and with the same principal foundational goals. He hopes to do so by the end of the academic year. So yeah, there's quite a lot to be done following the preliminary data results.
0: Thank you so much, Jasmine and Austin, for joining us to talk through Avi Loeb's work and where we go from here.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Newstalk is hosted by Frank S. Zo. Our producers are Gina H. Cho and Frank S. Zo. Our multimedia chairs are Joey Huang and Julian J. Giordano. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Music in this episode comes from freesound.org. From 14 Plimpton Street, this is News Talk.